Genesis 3. Let's just read the whole chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord God that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave... <clears throat> to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, <clears throat> and, dust shall, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, um, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, you, out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then verse 20. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden. They knew what it was like to have a perfect relationship with God, just as they themselves were perfect. And not only did they have a perfect relationship with God, but they had a perfect relationship with each other. But then sin came into the world. You might remember from last week, we mainly focused our our attention on the first six verses. We talked mainly about the temptation that, that led up to sin. Why it was so uh, powerful. What did the devil tempt them with um, that, that got them to bite? Um, we, we looked at that, but this time I want to focus more on the results 
of, of how that has affected us and, and specifically how that's affected the relationships in our lives. You know, we've been talking about that we have to be careful what we think because that's where sin begins. It be- begins in our thoughts. Because if, if we change the way we think, then you're going to change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you're going to change the way you act. But it begins with how we think about things. So far we've looked at our spiritual, financial, and mental health. And so this morning we're going to look at, I guess you could say, our, our, our relationships and how healthy they are, the relationships in our life. Like I said earlier, um, as sin came into the world, it, it affected not only our, our relationships horizontally, but also vertically with God and also with others. You know, it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to have a perfect relationship with none of the effects of sin affecting that relationship, both with others and, and with God. But we don't know what that's like because the reality is we've always had sin in our lives. We can only imagine it. And we can imagine what it'll be like one day when we get to heaven and we are made perfect and we become like Jesus. And so this morning we're, we're, we're going to look at, as I said, some of that fear that, that affects our, our relationships with others and how it all originated right here in, in the Garden of, of Eden. And uh, we're going to look at what we can do to counter it so that we can have um, more healthy relationships in our life. Since I was little, I, I've never liked clowns. Maybe when I was a little kid, they locked me in a room with a clown. I, I don't know what happened, but I don't care for clowns. Actually, I think what it was when, when I was little with my brother and sister, um, we'd go to my grandma's house um, every Friday night, and uh, she was busy, and so she'd let us watch whatever we wanted on TV, and I think maybe I watched too many killer clowns from Mars movies, you know, maybe something like that, but... Ever since I was a little kid, I've had this fear of clowns. Not fear, fear, but I don't like them. I, I stay away from them. I remember in, uh, we used to have, in one of the churches I was at, Jelly being the, cl- the clown, and I couldn't stand being by that woman. Just the look of her. And, and I think what bothers me so much about clowns is you can't read their face, their facial expressions. And, and for me, that's important. I like to know where I stand with, with somebody. You might remember from last time that God told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree of the garden but one. And so Satan monopolizes on that. Instead of reminding them of all the trees that they could eat and enjoy, Satan focuses just on that one tree that they couldn't, that they weren't allowed to touch and they weren't allowed to eat of. And as I said last time, I... I, I'm pretty sure, um, given what you see in Scripture, that this was more than likely just a temporary test. See, God wants to have a relationship with us that's built on love, not one of duty, not one of obligation. And I think eventually he would have taken this test away from them, but, well, it never got that far. Because they, as we so well know, they, they, they fell. And so Satan gets... Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness 
and God's love. And so immediately after they sin, their relationship with God, as well as their relationship with others, it's forever changed. Fear now is a reality that they can't escape, and we're still dealing with that fear even, even today. And so let's look at how this came about first. Because of the fear of exposure, it makes you want to distance yourself from God and others. Because of the fear of exposure, we are more distant from others. We all struggle with this to some degree. We'd like to be closer to God, to be closer to wives or husbands or to our children or, or even to friends, but we hold back. We'd like more intimacy with others, but there's a catch. The closer you allow somebody to get to you, then the clearer they're going to see exactly what you're like with all your sins and imperfections and your failures and the things that you do wrong. And we're terrified of that. We're terrified of what people will think of us if they see some of those imperfections. And so we always keep people at a distance. We allow them to get a little close, but not too close that they might really see us as we are. So you isolate yourself. Keep yourself, keep others from from knowing the real you. And I think this is why so many people, they, they, they fear being part of a small group. Even though a small group is one of the best things that you can do, it really is. To be in a, a small group of people where you can let your guard down and really get to know one another, love each other, despite all the imperfections, despite even the sin that you see in others' lives, you, you accept one another and you love them just as God has loved us. See, but we're terrified of that, of that intimacy again, and so we hesitate, we keep back. And because of that, you miss out on something that could really encourage you in your faith so that you grow stronger. In our text, this fear makes Adam and Eve afraid to be in the presence of God. And it brought a number of things. First, it brought shame, verse 7. While it began with shame over their mistakes, their nakedness, it wouldn't be long until their shame created embarrassment, humiliation, self-consciousness, nervousness. You fill in the blank. On and on and on. It's, it's the fruit of that sin. Second, fear makes you want to cover up. Verse, says that, verse 7 says that Adam and Eve wanted to cover up with fig leaves. If you've ever seen a fig leaf, they're, they're really not very big. I'm, I'm sure for some of you, it'd be a struggle to cover our bodies up with those fig leaves. For others, it would probably be a lot easier because you're so skinny. But today, people have gotten pretty uh, sophisticated, though, in how we cover ourselves up. We don't have to just use clothes, but a lot of people will even use humor. They use humor, to, again, to keep people at a distance. They like you. They like your humor. They like the things you say, but they never really get to know you. They never get that close. Some use wealth and material things as a cover. Others cover up their insecurities by maintaining a perfect image. Perfect life, perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect car, perfect the way you dress, perfect, perfect, perfect. It's the way you kind of have this appearance that you have it all together. 
that you're complete, even though underneath all that perfectness, you're still struggling. Sin is still there. Or some people, they're grouches. They're miserable. You've met somebody like this. And I think in a way, too, that keeps people away from getting too close, getting near you so that you might really see them as they they are. I think even today, to some degree, even Facebook and and things, platforms like that, you know, we we put on this little avatar and, and sometimes people describe their life like it's just perfect. They got everything together. Everyone's imperfect. Everyone struggles. And I think the sooner we allow others to enter into our lives, the happier we're going to be. Because otherwise, life really becomes lonely. And third, fear makes us want to keep distance between ourselves and others. As Adam and Eve heard God's footsteps in the garden, they hid themselves. What were they trying to hide from? I mean, what, what did God even say to them that made them so terrified? And, and the answer is, God really didn't say anything. It was God's very presence, His holiness, His righteousness. And, and as they thought about being in His presence, it, again, terrified them, making them want to hide. And this nakedness that, that's being described in, in Genesis, it's more than a physical nakedness, but it's also a spiritual nakedness and an emotional nakedness. And again, we're still fighting against that today. The second fear we see manifested in Adam and Eve is the fear of disapproval, which makes them defensive. The fear of disapproval, which makes them defensive. Now we move from hiding and running and and covering up to now being defensive and attacking those around you and trying to take the blame off yourself and to put it on others. And when you fear the disapproval of others, you start pointing fingers, even though when you point at others, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. But we forget that sometimes. Look at verse 12 in our text. When God called Adam and Adam out for his sin, Adam took it like a, a man by immediately blaming his, his wife Eve, right? Yeah. He didn't keep the blame. He passed it on. What did Eve do? She blamed it on, on the devil. And we're still doing that even, even today. And what's interesting about the way Adam tried to blame Eve, he didn't even stop there, but he also put the blame on God, basically saying, well, you're the one who brought this woman into my life. It's your fault too. I mean, that's why I fell into sin is because you gave her to me. We're still struggling with that fear even today. Again, that fear of exposure, fear of having others see you as you really are, it makes us want to hide. It makes us want to put up these walls Again, making us want to attack others before they might attack us. The last thing I want to say about fear is how it makes you afraid of losing control. This results in you becoming very demanding. As a result of Adam and Eve sin in the garden, they lost everything that meant so much to them. 
their futures, their eternal life. It all came crashing down. Thankfully, God put a, a plan into place immediately after, but you can just imagine what, what that must have been like. See, it's a fear of losing control. We want to keep, we want to have control over our lives. We want to have control over the things we do. And, and that feeling of a loss of control, it, it again, it's, it's unsettling. Where Adam and Eve's relationship before had been built on unconditional love, suddenly that changed. Where they were all about making the other one happy, that wasn't true anymore. Now they became very selfish with a desire to control the other. Part of God's judgment on Eve in verse 16 was that while she would have yearnings for her husband, that Adam would rule it over her. One translation says that he would dominate it over Eve. And that's where the war of the sexes began, way back in the Garden of of Eden. All the misunderstandings between man and woman, all the confusion and conflicts and and bickering and, and trying to gain power, position over another, it all goes back to the Garden it's really sin invading every part of our hearts and minds and soul. And so, what do you do? How do we counter this? I think we, we would all recognize that we see that fear, how it, it hinders us from approaching others and being close to others. So what do you do about that? Or do we just have to live with that until Jesus comes again? Well, there's really only one antidote to relieve these fears according to Scripture, and it's 1 John 4.16. We find the answer there, and I'm sure it's one that you all know. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's no fear in the perfect love of Christ. A couple went to their preacher. He wanted them to marry him. Well, as they planned the wedding, they they wanted a friend of the family to be able to participate in the service. And so they asked the preacher, can our friend read Scripture for you? Whatever your meditation is going to be on, could, could he read that Scripture? And the pastor says, sure, that's no problem. The only problem was this fellow was not a churchgoer. He really didn't know his Bible. And he really didn't know the difference between 1 John... In John 4.18, there's a big difference between 1 John 4.18 and John 4.18. And so during the service, the, the wedding ceremony, he, he pulled out the Bible and he started to, he was going to read John 4.18 and he even said to everyone in the audience, this is really important and, and the pastor's going to talk about it in just a little while in his meditation, so pay attention. And this is what he read. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Kind of makes you wonder how the pastor got out of that one, didn't? doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. Just correct him, I guess. But 1 John 4.18, that really is a wonderful passage to read at, at a wedding. Because it talks about the kind of love that sh- should fill all our relationships, especially our 
our, our marriage relationships. And so what can, you, what can you do to get rid of fear in a relationship? And, and the answer is, according to that text, you have to replace fear with God's love. Oh, that sounds simple. Too simple. That's really what 1 John 4.18 is telling us. There is no fear in the perfect love of Christ. And so if you want to get rid of that fear, you've got to have more of Christ in your life. See, the perfect love of, of Christ, it drives away all fear. People don't always realize this, but the opposite of fear is, is, is not faith, but it's, it's love. When you invite God's love into the front door of your heart, fear goes out the back door. Those two cannot coexist together. One's got to go. Otherwise, they're going to be constantly fighting with each other. The perfect love of God drives away all fear. This is why people will stand watching a fire and be terrified to go in. And yet, if parents are standing there and they have a a child that's in that fire, they wouldn't hesitate but run into that fire and, and try to save the child. See, because perfect love, it overcomes fear. John goes on to say in the second half of this verse that since fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, fear has to do with punishment and negative consequences. But God's love is not associated with any of those things, with shame, rejection, or harm. It doesn't have anything to do with punishment. Rather, God bore your punishment Himself. And through the sacrifice of Jesus, He took away your shame, your rejection, your pain. He chose to love you instead. So how do we learn to live in this love? First, it means each day you need to surrender your hearts to God and ask, you, and ask Him to fill you with that love. Each day you've got to do this. Refill your heart with that love. Because as you live your life, it's so easy to feel that love going down and down and down, and pretty soon you feel depleted, and you have little to share with others. And so each day you got to put that love back in there so that it will overflow from your heart to others. And so the only way to have more of this love in your life is to draw closer to the source of that love, which is Christ Jesus. Since God is love, it stands to reason if you want to be more loving, then you need more of God, not less. If you want to have less fear and worry and anxiety and more love, it can only be found in Christ. That's what John calls being made perfect in love. Not in our love, but in the perfect love of Christ. When this love fills you, That's when you can begin to freely share it with others. John 13, 34, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command to love each other. Love each other the way that I have loved you. You might notice that this isn't a suggestion, but this is actually a command that he gives to each one of us. If we truly know the love of Christ for ourselves, then that love needs to overflow from our lives. And when it doesn't, When you find yourself putting up all these walls and you have to ask yourself, why? Do you know the freedom of Christ Jesus? 
Have you experienced that forgiveness? Do you know that when God forgave you, he took away all your sins, past, present, future? He sees only the righteousness of Jesus. And so if God can forgive us, shouldn't we forgive ourselves? And shouldn't you forgive others? Because that's what it really means to love. Is it easy? No. Just as I'm sure it wasn't always easy for God to love us. Just look at the, the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. Over and over they stumbled and fell, stumbled and fell, and we're the same way, aren't we? But God still loves us. He knows your name. And He wants to be with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And so secondly, it means each day you need to remind yourself just how loved you are by God. Not only has He accepted you in Christ Jesus, just as you are, calling you to Himself, but we're told in the Bible that He sent His Son to take away our sins, and that means there is nothing you could do to make Him love you less. Do you know that? He loves you now as much as He's ever going to love you. He couldn't love you more. He's not waiting for you to really start living for Him, and then He's going to love you a little bit more. No, He loves you just as much now as He will in the future, just as He has in the past. He loves you. We have to get that through our heads. He loves us. We don't have to earn that love. It's ours already. And so now we can go out into the world and and share that love with others. So that they too can celebrate God's goodness. While Adam and Eve couldn't cover themselves or hide themselves from God because of their sin, we're told in this passage that God could. And not only does he sacrifice an animal for skins in order to cover them, which really is a foreshadowing of what one day Christ would do once again, but he even tells them, he says in verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his head. In other words, a, a day is coming when a Savior will appear. And you're going to have salvation and eternal life. And we know that Adam, Adam believed this promise from God. That one day a Savior would come. That death wouldn't have the final say by what he calls his wife for a name. He names her Eve, which means life or living. And so even with this punishment that's been placed upon the two of them, knowing that they're going to die one day, that they're going to struggle with sin all their lives, yet by naming his wife Eve, Adam showed that he trusted God. He was claiming that promise that all life would come from his wife. As I thought about this amazing truth, I thought about a a song that you occasionally hear on Christian radio. It's a little bit older song now, but I think the the words of it are just as, as true. Listen to some of these words. It's by uh, Francisca Battistelli. Thank you. He calls me chosen, free, forgiven, wanted, child of the king. His forever, held in treasure. She goes, I am loved. 
I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my Father's eyes. Make no mistake, He knows my name. I'm not living for applause. I'm already so adored. It's all His stage. He knows my name. She goes, oh, He knows my name. This morning, Jesus knows everything about you, and He still loves you. He knows your name. And Jesus not only wants to be your Savior, the Bible says He wants to be your friend. He wants to have fellowship with you. And when we open that door and allow Him to come into our lives, not just on Sundays, but every day, we spend time with Him. It's amazing how that love begins to build up and build up in our lives so that it overflows from us. So that, again, others can see and taste that the the Lord is good. Because of this love, we can lower our defenses and we don't have to fear. He knows your name. Can you ask for anything more? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for revealing your name to us. And Lord, for the knowledge that you know our name and you love us, every one that you've called. Father, we just pray that we might live for you. Father, that we might live out this truth. Thank you that there is no fear in your love, Lord Jesus. And we just pray that we might reflect that love in all that we do and say. May it take all fear away and and may it make us bold. And may it make us willing to enter those relationships with others where we can experience that intimacy in Christ, where we can hold each other accountable as well as encourage one another and love one another. Holy Spirit, we can't do this in our own strength. Fill us with your power. We just pray that we might be channels of Christ's love. We ask this in his name. Amen. If you would stand and